Section 11 of the Most Extraordinary Trial of William Palmer by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Sixth day, May the 20th. The trial of William Palmer on the charge of poisoning John Parsons Cook was resumed this morning. The court was quite as much crowded as during the previous days. Among the gentlemen upon the bench were Mr. Horsman, M.P., Sir J. Ramsden, M.P., Sir John Wilson, Governor of Chelsea Hospital. The learned judges, Lord Chief Justice Campbell, Mr. Baron Alderson, and Mr. Justice Cresswell, accompanied by the recorder, the sheriffs, under-sheriffs, and several members of the court of aldermen, came into court shortly before ten o'clock, and took their seats upon the bench. The prisoner was immediately placed in the dock. His appearance and demeanour were in no respect changed. John Jackson, examined by Mr. James. I am a member of the College of Physicians. I have recently returned from India, where I have practised for twenty-five years. During that practice, I have had my attention directed to cases of idiopathic and traumatic tetanus. In England, idiopathic tetanus appears to be rare. In India, it is comparatively frequent. The proportion of cases of idiopathic to traumatic tetanus is about one-third. I have seen not less than 40 cases in the hospital at Calcutta. That disease is not considered to be so fatal as traumatic tetanus, but I have found that it is equally so. It is commonly found in children, both native and European. It takes place about the third day after birth. It will also be occasioned by cold in the climate of India. In infants there is more marked symptoms of lockjaw than in traumatic tetanus. In adults there is no difference between the symptoms of the two diseases. I have always seen idiopathic tetanus preceded by premonitory symptoms. Those are a peculiar expression of the countenance and stiffness in the muscles of the throat and of the jaw. The period which usually elapses between the attack of idiopathic tetanus and the fatal termination of the disease is, in infants, 48 hours. In adults, if the disease arises from cold, it is longer, and may continue many days, going through the same grades as the traumatic form of the disease. I have not heard the evidence of the attacks of the deceased Cook. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. In idiopathic tetanus, the patient is always uncomfortable for some time before the attack. The appetite is not much affected. He complains more of the muscles of his neck. He may, within twelve hours of a serious attack, preserve his relish for food. I never heard a patient complain of want of appetite. I have known cases of idiopathic tetanus in which the first paroxysm occurred in bed. I have known this disease occur to women after confinement or miscarriage. Sometimes one of the premonitory symptoms is a difficulty in swallowing. Re-examined by the Attorney General. In an infant, not more than six hours will elapse between the premonitory symptoms and the commencement of the tetanic paroxysm. In an adult, the interval will be from 12 to 24, sometimes more than that. The interval from the commencement of the tetanic convulsions to death will vary from 3 to 10 days. 
Sometimes death may occur in two days, but that is an early termination. When the disease sets in, the course of the symptoms is alike in both forms of tetanus. Both forms are much more common in India than in England. The symptoms in India are the same as in England. I have never seen a case in which the disease ended in death in 20 minutes or half an hour. Daniel Scully Bergen, examined by the Attorney General. I am the Chief Superintendent of Police in Stafford. I attended the coroner's inquest on the body of Cook. After the verdict had been returned, I, on the night of Saturday, December the 15th, searched the house of the prisoner, Palmer. I found a quantity of papers, the greater portion in the surgery and drawing-room, but some in Palmer's bedroom. I put them all into the drawing-room, locked the door, and put the key into my pocket. On the following day, Sunday, I endeavoured to make a selection of them in the presence of Mr. George Palmer, the prisoner's brother, an attorney at Rugeley. Assisted by Inspector Crisp and Mr. Wollaston, I went through all the papers. Eventually, on the Tuesday morning, I gave up the idea of selection and tied up all the papers, took them away in a black leather bag and conveyed them to Stafford, where I delivered them to Mr. Hatton, the chief constable. Some days afterwards, I believe on the 24th of December, the bag was opened in my presence, and the papers were gone through minutely by Mr. Dean, solicitor, acting for the prosecution. He classified them, and they were again tied up. Mr. Dean copied a portion of them, but he kept none. They were all left at the office of the chief constable. When I examined the papers, I saw what they were. I did not find a cheque on Mrs. Weatherby purporting to bear the signature of Cook, nor any paper purporting to bear his signature respecting bills of exchange. Some of the papers were afterwards returned to Mr. George Palmer. Mr. Dean selected a large number of letters and documents, private accounts, private letters, which were delivered to Inspector Crisp with instructions to give them to Mr. George Palmer. William Palmer was arrested on the night of the 15th of December. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee The inquest was held at the Talbot Arms. It continued several days. The first meeting was merely to empanel the jury. The inquest lasted more than a fortnight. The prisoner was arrested by the sheriff on a civil process a day or two before the verdict was delivered. From the commencement of the inquest until that time, he was at his house at Rugeley. He was never present at the inquest, nor did anyone act professionally for him. Some time before the death of Cook, I heard of an Inspector Field, who I believe is not now a police officer, being at Rugeley. I know that there are such persons as the Duttons, but I do not know anything about them, or their mother. Henry Augustus Dean, examined by Mr. James. I am an attorney and a member of the firm of Chubb, Dean and Chubb, Gray's Inn. I attended the inquest on the body of Walter Palmer, but not that on the body of Cook. On the 24th of December, I saw Palmer's papers at Stafford. They were in the custody of the last witness. The papers were in a black bag, which was unsealed in my presence. Bergen, Mr. Hatton, the chief constable, and myself were the persons present. I carefully examined all the papers for the purpose of selecting those which it was necessary should be kept. 
I returned a considerable number of immaterial papers to George Palmer. Among the papers I found no check upon Messrs. Weatherby, purporting to be signed by the deceased Cook, nor any paper like that which the witness Cheshire stated that Palmer asked him to attest. An acknowledgment purporting to be signed by Cook that bills to the amount of some thousands had been accepted by Palmer for Cook's benefit. I saw George Palmer, the solicitor, after the papers which I had selected were returned to him. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. I know Field, the detective officer. We were solicitors to the Prince of Wales Insurance Office. It was in our employment that Field went to Rugeley. He was at Rugeley only a part of one day. He was at Stafford for three or four days altogether. He did not see the prisoner Palmer. His visit had been preceded by that of another officer named Simpson. Simpson went from Stafford to Rugeley with myself and Field. He told me he had seen Palmer. I think he went into Staffordshire in the first week in October. Re-examined by Mr. James Field was sent down to make inquiries as to the habits of life of Mr. Walter Palmer, of whose death the office had shortly before received notice, and also to inquire into the circumstances of a person named Bates, with reference to a proposal for an insurance of £25,000 upon his life. John Espin, examined by Mr. James. I am a solicitor practising in Davis Street, Berkeley Square. I am solicitor to Mr. Padwick. I produce a bill for £2,000, which was placed in my hands, to enforce payment from the prisoner. Mr. Strawbridge, manager of the bank at Rugeley, was called and proved that the drawing and endorsement of this bill, a bill at three months for £2,000, drawn by William Palmer, and purporting to be accepted by Sarah Palmer, were in the handwriting of the prisoner, and that the acceptance was not in that of his mother. John Espin continued. The bill would be due on the 6th of October, 1854. £1,000 had been paid off it. Judgment was signed on the 12th of December, and I had then the bill only a day or two. The execution was issued on the 12th of December. I have here a letter from William Palmer, addressed to Mr. Padwick, on the 12th of November, and enclosing a cheque, and requesting that it should not be presented until the 28th of November. I produced the cheque for £1,000, enclosed in this letter of the 12th. The cheque is dated the 28th. That cheque was not paid. I produce another cheque, dated the 8th of December, 1855, payable to Mr. Padwick, or bearer, for the sum of £600. Mr. Strawbridge proved that the signature to this cheque was in the handwriting of the prisoner. That was not paid. It was received a few days after the cheque for £1,000 was dishonoured. £1,000 still remained due. We issued a habeas corpus against the prisoner's person. Upon that, Palmer was arrested. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. I believe all the documents were placed in my hands together about the 12th of December. William Bamford, examined by the Attorney General. I am a surgeon and apothecary at Rugeley in Staffordshire. I first saw the deceased, John Parsons Cook, 
on saturday the seventeenth of november palmer the prisoner asked me to visit him palmer said that cook had been dining with him the day before and had taken too much champagne i went with palmer to see cook i asked if he had taken too much wine the day before and he assured me that he took but two glasses i found no appearance of bile about cook but there was constant vomiting i prescribed for him a saline effervescing draught and a six-ounce mixture i never saw cook take any of the pills which i had prescribed after i had prepared the pills on the monday evening i took them to the talbot arms and gave them to a servant-maid who took them upstairs on the saturday sunday and monday i prepared the same pills i saw palmer on the tuesday morning i was going to see cook when he met me i asked him if he had seen cook the night before he said that he saw him between nine and ten o'clock and was with him for half an hour he requested that i would not disturb cook and i went home without seeing him between twelve and one o'clock palmer met me again i was going to see cook and palmer begged i would not go because he was still and quiet and he did not wish him to be disturbed at seven o'clock in the evening palmer came to my house and requested me to go and see cook again i went and saw him having seen cook i left the room with jones and palmer palmer said he rather wished cook to have his pills again and that he would walk up with me for them he did so and stood by while i prepared them in my surgery i had strychnia in a cupboard in my own private room i put the pills in a box and addressed it night pills john parsons cook esquire i wrote that direction on all the four nights on the tuesday night palmer requested that i would put on a direction after that i did not again see cook alive palmer took away the pills between seven and eight o'clock i had wrapped the box up in paper and had sealed it there was no impression of a seal upon it the direction was upon a separate paper which i placed under the box and between it and the outside paper nothing was written on the box or on the outside paper it was as near as could be twenty minutes past twelve at midnight when i saw cook dead i understood he was alive when they came to me and i could not have been more than five or ten minutes in going up i found the body stretched out resting on the heels and the back of the head as straight as possible and stiff the arms were extended down each side of the body and the hands were clinched i filled up the certificate and gave it as my opinion that he died from apoplexy palmer asked me to fill up the certificate i had forms of certificates in my possession when palmer asked me to fill up the certificate i told him that as cook was his patient it was his place to fill up the certificate he said he had much rather i did it and i did so i was present at the post-mortem examination after it was over palmer said we ought not to have let that jar go that was all he said cross-examined by mr sergeant shee my house is about two hundred yards from that of the prisoner thomas pratt examined by mr james i am a solicitor and practice in queen street mayfair i know the prisoner palmer my acquaintance with him commenced at the end of november eighteen fifty three i obtained for him a loan of one thousand pounds that was repaid in october eighteen fifty four i was employed by him to make a claim for two policies upon the life of anne palmer i received upon the prisoner's account 
five thousand pounds from the sun office and three thousand pounds from the norwich union the money was applied in payment of i think three bills amounting to three thousand five hundred pounds or four thousand pounds which were due and of loans obtained after i had made the claims upon the policies there was one thousand five hundred pounds not so applied that was paid to palmer or applied to other purposes under his direction in april eighteen fifty five palmer applied to me for a loan of two thousand pounds he did not state the purpose for which he required the loan i obtained it upon a bill of two thousand pounds drawn by himself and purporting to be accepted by sarah palmer on the twenty eighth of november of that year there were eight bills held by clients of mine or by myself these bills were produced and read the total amount for which they were drawn was twelve thousand five hundred pounds two bills dated july the twenty second and july the twenty fourth for two thousand pounds each were the only bills which were overdue in november eighteen fifty five two bills for five hundred pounds and one thousand pounds were held over from month to month these were bills dated june the fifth and august the second eighteen fifty four the interest was paid monthly with two exceptions these bills were discounted at the rate of sixty per cent on the ninth of november the interest for holding over the two bills dated in eighteen fifty four was due i remember the death of walter palmer that occurred in august eighteen fifty five i was instructed by william palmer to claim from the prince of wales insurance office thirteen thousand pounds due upon a policy upon his life the sarah palmer by whom these bills purport to be accepted is the mother of the prisoner while holding these bills i from time to time addressed letters to her i wrote to palmer as follows quote, if you are quite settled on your return from doncaster do pray think about your three bills so shortly coming due if i do not get a positive appointment from the office to pay which i do not expect you must be prepared to meet them as agreed you told me your mother was coming up this month and would settle them End quote. about a week afterwards i wrote to him this letter had no date but bore a postmark september twenty fourth you are aware there are three bills of two thousand pounds each accepted by your mother mrs sarah palmer falling due in a day or two now as the thirteen thousand pounds cannot be received from the prince of wales insurance office for three months it will be necessary that those bills should be renewed i will therefore thank you to send me up three new acceptances to meet those coming due and which when they fall due i presume the money will be ready to meet which will amount to one thousand five hundred pounds more than your mother has given acceptances for End quote. and on the second of october i wrote quote, this you will observe quite alters arrangements and i therefore must request that you make preparations for meeting the two bills due at the end of this month in any event bear in mind that you must be prepared to cover your mother's acceptances for the four thousand pounds at the end of the month end quote. on the sixth of october i wrote to him another letter containing this passage quote, i have your note acknowledging receipt by your mother of the two thousand pounds acceptance due the second of october 
why not let her acknowledge it herself you must really not fail to come up at once if it be for the purpose of arranging for the payment of the two bills at the end of the month remember i can make no terms for their renewal and they must be paid i had received from palmer a letter dated october the fifth acknowledging on the part of his mother the receipt of a bill of exchange for two thousand pounds on the tenth i wrote to palmer a letter from which the following is an extract quote, however not to repeat what i said in my last but with the view of pressing on you the remembrance that the two bills due at the end of this month the twenty sixth and twenty seventh must be met i say no more the two thousand pounds acceptance of your mother due the twenty ninth of september i sent her yesterday it was renewed by the second of the three sent me up End quote. on the eighteenth of october i wrote to palmer as follows quote, i send copies of two letters i have received as regards the first it shows how important it is that you or your mother should prepare for payment of the four thousand pounds due in a few days i cannot now obtain delay on the same ground i did the others for then i could have no ground for supposing the claim would not be admitted on the twenty seventh of october palmer called and paid me two hundred and fifty pounds this was on account of the bills due on the twenty fifth and twenty seventh of that month he said he would remit another sum of an equal amount before the following wednesday and would pay the remainder of the principal by instalments as shortly as possible in reply to a letter of mine on the twenty seventh of october i received the following letter from him dated the twenty eighth of october quote, i will send you the two hundred and fifty pounds from worcester on tuesday as arranged for goodness sake do not think of writs only let me know that such steps are going to be taken and i will get you the money even if i pay one thousand pounds for it only give me a fair chance and you shall be paid the whole of the money on the thirty first of october i wrote to palmer quote, the two hundred and fifty pounds in registered letter duly received to-day with it i have been enabled to obtain consent to the following that with the exception of issuing the writs against your mother no proceeding as to service shall be made until the morning of saturday the tenth when you are to send up the one thousand pounds or fifteen hundred pounds you will be debited with a month's interest on the whole of four thousand pounds out of the money sent up i impress upon you the necessity of your being punctual as to the bills you will not forget also the fifteen hundred pounds due on the ninth of november End quote on the sixth of november i issued writs against palmer and his mother for four thousand pounds i sent them to mr crabbe a solicitor at rugeley on the tenth of november palmer called on me i had received a letter from him on the ninth of november quote, i will be with you on saturday next at half-past one he did call on me and paid me three hundred pounds which with the two sums i had before received made up eight hundred pounds two hundred pounds was deducted for interest leaving six hundred pounds he was to endeavour to let me have a further remittance but nothing positive was said it is possible that writs were mentioned but i have no recollection of it no doubt he knew of them 
A letter of November the 13th from Pratt to Palmer was then read, in which, after giving some explanations with respect to the Prince of Wales policy, Pratt said, quote, I count most positively on seeing you on Saturday. Do, for both our sakes, try to make up the amount to £1,000, for without it I shall be unable to renew the £1,500 due on the 9th. End quote. On the 16th of November, Palmer wrote to me, quote, I am obliged to come to Tattersall's on Monday to the settling, so that I shall not call and see you before Monday, but a friend of mine will call and leave you £200 tomorrow, and I will give you the remainder on Monday. End quote. On the Saturday, November the 17th, someone came from Palmer and gave me a cheque of a Mr. Fisher for £200. On the 19th, Mr. Palmer wrote to me, quote, All being well, I shall be with you tomorrow, Monday, but cannot say what time now. Fisher left the £200 for me. End quote. On Monday the 19th, which was the settling day at Tattersall's, Palmer called on me after three o'clock. This paper, produced, was then drawn up, and he signed it. Quote, you will place the £50 which I have just paid you, and the £450 you will receive by Mr. Herring, together £500, and the £200 you received on Saturday, towards payment of my mother's acceptance for £2,000, due on the 25th of October, making paid to this day the sum of £1,300. He paid me £50 at the time, and said I should receive the £450 through the post, by Mr. Herring. I afterwards received a cheque from him for that amount, which was paid through my bankers. On the 21st of November, Palmer wrote to me, quote, Ever since I saw you, I have been fully engaged with Cook and not able to leave home. I am sorry to say, after all, he died this day. So you had better write to Saunders, but, mind you, I must have Polestar if it can be so arranged. And should anyone call upon you to know what money or monies Cook ever had from you, don't answer the question till I have seen you. End quote. Quote, I will send you the seventy-five pounds tomorrow, and as soon as I have been to Manchester, you shall hear about the other monies. I sat up two full nights with Cook, and am very much tired out. End quote. On the twenty-second of November, I wrote to Palmer. Quote, I have your note, and am greatly disappointed at the non-receipt of the money as promised, and at the vague assurances as to any money. I can understand, tis true, that your being detained by the illness of your friend has been the cause of not sending up the larger amount, but the smaller sum you ought to have sent. If anything unpleasant occurs, you must thank yourself. The death of Mr. Cook will now compel you to look about as to the payment of the bill for £500 on the 2nd of December. I have written Saunders, informing him of my claim, and requesting to know, by return, what claim he has for keeping and training. I send down copy of Bill of Sale to Crubble to see it enforced. End quote. On the 23rd of November I received a note from Palmer, saying that Mrs. Weatherby, of six old burlington street would forward a cheque for seventy five pounds in the morning on the twenty fourth i received another note saying that he would come up either that day or monday i saw him on the twenty fourth 
when he signed the following paper quote, i have paid you this day one hundred pounds seventy five pounds you will pay for renewal of fifteen hundred pounds due on the ninth of november for one month and twenty five pounds on account of the two thousand pounds due the twenty fifth of october making one thousand three hundred and twenty five pounds paid on that account End quote. i had received a cheque for seventy five pounds on messrs weatherby but they refused to pay it on the twenty sixth of november palmer wrote to me quote, strictly private and confidential my dear sir should any of cook's friends call upon you to know what money cook ever had from you pray don't answer that question or any other about money matters until i have seen you and oblige yours faithfully william palmer End quote. there was a bill of sale on polestar and another horse of cook's called sirius i did not know cook i never saw him the bill of sale was executed at the beginning of september the prisoner had transacted the loan the bill of sale was read on the twenty sixth of august palmer wrote to me on the subject quote, now i want and must have it from somewhere one thousand pounds clear by next saturday without fail and you can raise it on the policy that is the policy for thirteen thousand pounds on the life of w palmer if you like and it must be had at a much less rate of interest than i have hitherto had because the security is so very good and if you cannot manage it you must let me have the policy because you have plenty of security for your money End quote. on the thirtieth of august he again wrote quote, i have undertaken to get the enclosed bill cashed for mr cook you have the two hundred pounds bill of his he is a very good and responsible man will you do it i will put my name to the bill End quote. in this letter was enclosed cook's acceptance for five hundred pounds on the sixth of september palmer wrote quote, i received the cheque for the one hundred pounds and will thank you to let me have the three hundred and fifteen pounds by return of post if possible if not send it me certain by monday night's post to the post office doncaster i now return you cook's papers signed etc and he wants the money on saturday if he can have it but i have not promised it for saturday i told him he should have it on tuesday morning at doncaster so please enclose it with mine in cash in a registered letter and he must pay for it being registered do not let it be later than monday night's post to doncaster End quote. on the ninth of september he wrote quote, you must send me for mr cook by monday night's post to the post office doncaster three hundred and eighty five pounds instead of three hundred and seventy five pounds and the wine warrant so that i can hand it to him with the three hundred and seventy five pounds and that will be allowing you fifty pounds for the discount etc i shall then get ten pounds and i expect i shall have to take to the wine and give him the money but i shall not do so if you do not send three hundred and eighty five pounds and be good enough to enclose my three hundred and fifteen pounds with it in cash in a registered letter and direct it to me to the post office doncaster End quote. i accordingly wrote to palmer at the post office doncaster enclosing three hundred pounds in notes and a cheque for three hundred and seventy five pounds i struck out the words or bearer 
so that it was payable to order. In the letter I said, quote, You know by this time that if I do what I can to accommodate you, there is a limit to my means to do so, and more particularly as in this instance, you have been the means of shutting up a supply I could generally go to. I think also you had little reason to allude to the ten pounds difference after the trouble, correspondence, etc., I had with respect to a second insurance you know of, which, although it did not come off, arose not from any lack of industry on my part. I have no reply as yet from the Prince of Wales. When shall I see you about the three two thousand pounds bills coming due at the end of this month? I speak in time in order that you may be prepared in case anything untoward happens with the Prince of Wales. I am obliged to send a cheque for Cook, as I have not received the money, which I shall do, no doubt, to-morrow. The cheque for £375 and the wine warrant was the consideration for Cook's bill of sale for £500. The other £300 had nothing to do with Cook's transactions. A letter from Palmer was then read, acknowledging the receipt of the previous letter with the enclosures. I had one other transaction with Cook before this. It related to an acceptance of Cook's for £200, which was paid. I had no other pecuniary transactions whatever with him. The date of that first transaction was the end of April or the beginning of May, 1855. The bill was drawn by Palmer on Cook and was paid by Cook. Mr. Stevens was here recalled, and having examined the endorsement on the cheque for £375, said, This endorsement is not in the handwriting of Cook. I never saw him write his name otherwise than J. Parsons Cook, whereas this is written J. P. Cook. Mr. Strawbridge was then shown some acceptances purporting to be by Mrs. Sarah Palmer, and said that none of them were in Mrs. Palmer's handwriting. William Cheshire, who had been a clerk in the bank at Rugeley in September last, proved that Palmer had an account there, and that the cheque already in evidence had been received by him and carried to Palmer's credit. Cross-examined. I did not know Cook. He never had any transactions with us. Mr. Pratt was then cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. Previous to May, 1855, I knew nothing at all about Cook. I then held a sum of £310 due to Palmer, and he wished me to add £190 to it, and to pay £500 to a Mr. Sergeant. I declined to do that without further security. He proposed the security of Cook's acceptances, and represented Cook to be a gentleman of respectability and substance. On his representation I agreed to accept a bill drawn by him on Cook for £200, and to make the advance. He thus got the £500. I wrote to Cook about the first transaction. I also wrote to him before his death, on the 13th of November, reminding him that £500 was due on December the 2nd. I sent the letter to him at Lutterworth. Re-examined. The first £200 was due on the 29th of June, but was not then paid. I wrote about it, and Cook came up on the 2nd of July and paid it. I did not see him. John Armshaw, examined by Mr. Wellsby. I am an attorney practising at Rugeley. About the 13th of November, I was employed to apply to Palmer for payment of a debt of about £60, 
due to some mercers and drapers at Rugeley. On the 19th of November, I sent up to London instructions for a writ. On the next morning, the 20th, I went to Palmer's house. He gave me two £50 notes and said he hoped he should not be put to the cost of the writ. One was a Bank of England, the other a local note. I took them to my employer to get the receipt and change, and to settle about the costs. John Wallbank, examined by Mr. Wellesby. I am a butcher at Rugeley. On the Monday, in Shrewsbury Race Week, Palmer's man came to me and fetched me to Palmer's house. Palmer said, I want you to lend me £25. I said, Doctor, I'm very short of money, but I'll try if I can get it. He said, Do, that's a good fellow. I'll give it you again on Saturday morning, as I shall then have received some money at Shrewsbury. On the Saturday I met him in the street, went to his house with him, and he paid me the money. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. Palmer had lent me money sometimes when I had asked him. His mother lived in the town, in a large house near the church. He was in the habit of going there. John Spilbury, examined by Mr. Bodkin. I am a farmer near Stafford, and have had dealings with Palmer. In November last, he owed me forty-six pounds and two shillings. On the 22nd of November, Thursday, I called on him, and he paid me that amount. He gave me a Bank of England note for fifty pounds. I called casually. I had not applied to him for the money. That was the first transaction I had with him. Mr. Strawbridge, examined by the Attorney General, said, On the 19th of November, Palmer had an account at the bank, and there was a balance of nine pounds and six shillings in his favour. Nothing was paid to his account after that. The 10th of October was the last date on which anything was paid to the account. The amount then paid was fifty pounds. Herbert Wright, examined by Mr. E. James. I am a solicitor in partnership with my brother at Birmingham. I have known Palmer since July 1851. In November 1855, he owed my brother £10,400. We had a bill of sale upon his property. It was produced and read. It recited that Palmer was indebted to Edwin Wright in the sum of £6,500 on account of bills of exchange accepted by Sarah Palmer and endorsed by Palmer to Wright, and as security for that amount and a further sum of £2,300, which had been advanced to him, a power of sale subject to redemption, was given by Palmer over the whole of his property, including his horses. All the advances were made upon bills, together with other collateral security. All the bills are here. The bills purporting to be accepted by Palmer's mother were produced. Also an acceptance of Palmer's for £1,600. In the early part of November, I was pressing Palmer for payment. Many of the bills were overdue. Palmer always said the money would be paid after the Cambridgeshire races at Newmarket. I put the bill of sale in force in December, after the verdict of the coroner's jury was returned. I was present when the property was taken. I found no papers in the house. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. A sheriff's officer effected the seizure, and an auctioneer followed him. Should you have objected to give Palmer more time for payment if you had been asked? I hardly know. 
Probably I should not. I was not hostile to him. I never accommodated Cook. I had offered to do so, but the transaction never assumed completion. A laugh. Re-examined by the Attorney General. These bills were discounted at 60% per annum, and would have been renewed probably at the same rate of interest. Mr. Strawbridge proved that the acceptances produced by the last witness were not in the handwriting of Mrs. Palmer. Cross-examined. They are a bad imitation of her hand. The Attorney General said that Mr. Weatherby was the only remaining witness for the prosecution, and, as he was not now in court, he hoped their lordships would allow him to be examined in the morning, before his learned friend opened the defence. Mr. Sergeant Shee asked the court to permit the witness Mills to be recalled, in order that he might examine her as to where she was now residing. The Attorney General, she was cross-examined upon that point. Lord Campbell, we are of opinion that there is no ground for recalling her. Mr. Sergeant Shee asked permission to put some further questions to Dr. Devonshire with regard to his having been pushed by Palmer during the post-mortem examination. Lord Campbell, by all means. Mr. Justice Cresswell observed that he did not think it was a circumstance to which much importance could be attached. He had not taken a note of it. Mr. Baron Alderson expressed a similar opinion. There was nothing extraordinary in a person who was interested in the examination being anxious to see all that was going on. Mr. Sergeant Shee, after that intimation of their lordship's opinion, would not press his request. Lord Campbell hoped that the jury would have an opportunity given them of breathing the fresh air that fine evening. The court adjourned at half-past three o'clock until ten o'clock Wednesday morning. End of section 11